welcome to Scotland's Coefficient Podcast, the podcast about Scottish football teams in European competition. Welcome to the new season of Scotland's Coefficient Podcast, the podcast with a neutral and non-biased analysis and support of all of Scotland's football teams in European competition. This is episode 7, titled In Conversation with Gavin from the ABZ Football Podcast. My name is also Gavin, so I promise this wasn't a conversation with myself. I run the Scotland's Coefficient Twitter page, currently with over 23,000 followers. In the last episode, I had a chat with Alan from the Celtic by Numbers page, looking at Celtic's performance in Europe so far, and his hopes for the future for Celtic. The next episode will be after match day 5, where I'll have a Rangers fan from the This Is Ibrox podcast on to review their campaign. However, this week it's the turn of Aberdeen. Me and Gavin discuss Aberdeen's European performances this season, their summer recruitment and the manager's performance so far, as well as Gav's hopes for the rest of the season and the future of Boyan Majowski. They've been running their Aberdeen podcast for two and a half years now, and they've done a good bit for charity too. They're definitely worth a follow on Twitter, and their link is in the podcast description. As ever, if you are enjoying the podcast, then please leave it a positive five-star review. Thanks for listening, and up the coefficient. So welcome, Gavin. Thanks very much for joining the podcast. Um, you're from the ABZ podcast, is that right? Uh, that's correct, yes. The ABZ football podcast, yes. Yeah, so specialising in Aberdeen, which is exactly what I want, um, to talk about Aberdeen season so far, but particularly in Europe. So how do you view the campaign? I mean, I know you've only got two points from four games, but I think most neutral observers would would agree with me that your performances probably deserve a little bit better, do you think? I think this season in Europe has just been a massive case of what could have been, really. Um, there have been a number of good performances throughout the campaign interspersed with just, you know, lapses in concentration, lapses in experience, just or just, you know, not taking our chances. You can think back to the heckin' game at Pataudry, especially Duke and Bojan Miofsky both have one-on-ones with the goalkeeper that you'd expect them to bury, but neither of them take it, and we end up suffering, hence why we're in the Conference League. And when we got drawn in the Conference League, it's a mighty stiff group that we got drawn. Um, I think any team would struggle with it. Um, Frankfurt, I think the top-ranked team in the in the competition, Pauk are a good team, notoriously difficult to play, especially in Greece, and Helsinki are the Finnish champions, so as you say, we've got two points right now. It's difficult to not look back to those games at Pitology and think if we'd won those games, which we should have, in my opinion. You know, I think Helsinki, we should have beaten them. How we were 2-0 up. And like I say, it's those lapses in concentration that mean that we ultimately lose that game by three goals to two. Combine that with the performance last night, the result, we're sitting on seven points with two games to go. Nothing to fear in Finland. And then it could have exactly. come down there. Yeah. Could have come down to that home game against Frankfurt at Pataudry. So it's been a long what, what a night that could have been. Imagine if you, if you had got that and you had a whole match against an already qualified Frankfurt to try and join them. Would have been like what, one of the modern day biggest nights Pataudry's ever seen. It, it would have been. It would have been a chance for another generation of Aberdeen fans to have their, their Bayern Munich in 83. 
their Copenhagen, their Bayern Munich in 07-08. So uh, disappointing. Although when I think about the fact we've got the League Cup final on the Sunday after that, is it the worst <laughs> idea that we can maybe just rest players against Frankfurt? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's a really good summary and it's exactly how I would sum up Aberdeen's campaign, what could have been. So yeah, the hacking game, I remember watching them running through one-on-one like they're going to score here and they just didn't. In hindsight, it probably was the best thing in terms of competitiveness to drop into the Conference League because they have competed on every level. But yeah, to have Frankfurt as your pot one team and they're not even the group leaders because Pauk have won every single game up until last night just shows it was a really tough game. Um, Very noble of you to list things that have gone wrong and not touch on refereeing decisions or VAR decisions because neutrally speaking, I think there has been a couple, especially the home game against Pauk. There was the, the challenge on... I can't remember the Aberdeen player, but it didn't even go to a review for a penalty and then they go up the other end and score. So you're right, a combination of inexperience, a bit bit of other factors, and you were so close to just getting a couple of victories over the line, it would have made such a difference. Yeah, that's Jack McKenzie you're thinking of at 2-1, when he gets brought down. Um, A stonewall penalty, definitely. Um, I try and take the view that VAR is nonsense no matter what, no matter who the team is. Um, (laughs) So, you know, the idea that it didn't even go to a VAR check, that's the thing that gets for me. Um, But at the end of the day, I still think that if you're 2-0 up with seven, eight minutes to go, you've got no one to blame And and that's an experience, you would think. um, And the manager needs to take a bit of it as well when he made the triple sub, he put Duke on up front. He hopefully, if if Aberdeen do get there again next year, then that's a massive learning experience this year. If you do get 2-0 up at home with 16, 17 minutes to go, um, we don't make a triple sub for a start and the players should have the experience to know how to see that out next time. So definitely positives to be taken, I think. Um, although you're now out, obviously, because Pauk and Frankfurt can't be caught, How? what is your thoughts of the next two games? So is it just more experience building for the players? I I want us to get a win, first mm-hmm. and foremost, obviously, because I do think our performances have deserved at least one win in Europe this yeah. season. And if it could happen in Helsinki, that'd be great, because I'm going to Helsinki. Brilliant. Which is going to be fantastic. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go to Frankfurt. It was too close for me to get time off work. But mm. we're making the pilgrimage to uh, Helsinki, where it's, I believe, minus four on average in early December, late November. <laughs> so delighted about that. Um, and then, honestly, when I look at Frankfurt now, knowing that the group is dead, um, hopefully if we beat Helsinki, that means we finish third. I think pretty sure that's right. Yeah. So we'll have that secured. And then for me, the big game that week is the cup final. Yeah. So I would not be adverse to by Robson just resting, playing the kids, playing the reserve team and see what happens against Frankfurt. Yeah, I would agree. Obviously, Rangers will be in, um, in Seville that same night. So they've got an away game against Betis. Chances are if they win their next home game, they'll be through as well. However, they may be playing against Betis to see who wins the group. So I don't think Rangers will be able to um, rest their players. But Aberdeen, I think, I would agree. They absolutely should. Everybody should. You don't want any injuries or anyone fatigued ahead of what is could be the biggest game of the season. It could be the only cup final they get into. So... Yeah, that's a fair assessment. And yeah, Helsinki, although they're the Finnish champions, I think they've taken some beatings in this group. Aberdeen haven't lost by more than a single goal where Helsinki, I think that they lose 4-1 last night. They've, they've 
they've been getting beaten um, almost every game and Aberdeen probably should have beaten them. So it is an opportunity and it would be good, especially for the fans such as yourself, going over to to see the game to get a win in Europe. And then, uh, again, building on that experience thing for next season, it should give them give them more belief. So, yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. So moving away from Europe then and just sort of generally speaking in terms of Aberdeen at the moment and how they're run. So how do you view... Um, sort of the transfer strategy and I suppose the investment in the in the summer. So the, the chairman and uh, the chief executive, they're quite vocal on Twitter, which I quite like. They engage with the fans a lot. They tell them what they're doing. They're working on transfers and all of that. Um, do you think uh, that it was a successful summer that they had? Um, first and foremost, I would just say that the recruitment of Alan Burrows as chief executive was a diamond piece of business. Brilliant, yeah. That was for the past two years since we kind of, since we've actually started doing this podcast, because we started this show at the beginning of the Stephen Glass season, uh, previewing the first game with Hecken when we beat them 5-1 at Pathology. That was like yeah. the first show. So we've been kind of documenting this kind of brave new world that Dave Cormack has taken us on with, you know, going to that more continental approach with the head of recruitment, the head coach, uh, director of football, et cetera, et cetera. And for the longest time, like Dave Cormack, I think we all agree his heart's in the right place. And yep. he wants the absolute best for Aberdeen. But I don't think you can have someone running the football club who's based in Atlanta the majority of the time. So we were calling out for someone to be in Aberdeen running the football club on a day-to-day basis. And Alan Burrows was a name that we just threw out because he was like an example of the perfect person. Of how to when do he, it right, yeah. Exactly. And when he left Motherwell, I, I'm pretty sure he made a statement saying that he was just leaving because he was like exhausted from the day-to-day running and the stress that it all caused him. Kind of like, mate, if you're leaving Motherwell for Aberdeen to get away <laughs> stress, yeah. you're not doing it right. Um, <laughs> but, but we were delighted to get him in. I thought it was a, a fantastic piece of business. Moving on to this summer transfer strategy, I mean... I think like every football club, no matter what, unless you're a team that have got baz- bajillions of pounds to spend, you're going to have your hits and you're going to have your misses. And so far, that would appear to be the case. It's a bit troubling when Barry Robson, after we suffer a defeat or draw a game at home, he'll come out and say that he doesn't have the kind of squad to mm. be able to rotate. And I think back to that and just think, well, we spent a million pounds effectively on two reserve strikers who barely ever play so you can't say you haven't had the backing to to build a squad yeah. you've got lone players who haven't featured at all I'm um, thinking like Reese Williams from Liverpool and Ordadia from from Israel so yeah I mean there's been some there's been some success stories undoubtedly Nicky Devlin's come in been really good at right wing back Jamie McGrath's impressed me he's been immeasurably. great I mean yeah. I, I wasn't that fond when I first heard it maybe there's a bit of a um, resentful part of me thinking that he's knocked us back twice before. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you come to us now after you've just got United relegated? <laughs> but he's been he's been sensational and last night, especially. I mean, that free kick from 30 oh, yards, I, was... I, did, I did not know he had that in his locker. <laughs> so, um, those there's been two good bits of business Jensen and Gartman at center back, really solid, really good players. Jerry's still out for me about Rubizic, if I'm being yeah. honest. Um, and then, like I say, it's all kind of fringe players from there, so. Yeah, some hits, some misses, definitely. Yeah, and like you say, when you're working with a limited budget, a lot of them will be gambles, it will be players that might not be ready now or they might have fallen out of favour at the club. And like you say, some will be hits, some will be misses. But yeah, 
I, I was impressed that they, they did go go to the backing, so they knew they were getting a certain level of income from Europe this season, and they decided, well, let's try and have a squad to compete. And although the results haven't followed, I think they have competed well, so I think it was the right move. Um, talking uh, transfer-wise, Miofsky been sensational this season, I would say. Do you think you, you'll keep hold of him for a long time? Do you think he could potentially even leave in January? And, and how would you view that? Is there a certain fee you think would be fair and if, if it was going to be reinvested in the rest of the squads? What's your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, Miofsky. <laughs> uh, honestly, the most, one of the most talented strikers that we've had in years and years. Adam Rainey was great, but Boyan Miofsky is just, for me, a different level. Boy, Musk would score 100 goals a season if he had the service Adam Rooney got back in those mm-hmm. days. What he's been able to do with, to be quite frank, limited service at times this season is just sensational. And what I've really enjoyed about him is that when he first came, you could see that he had a lot of technique. He was a goal scorer, but he couldn't play up front by himself. This season, within this 12-month space time, where, especially when Robson's been in charge, his game, his all-round game, has just gone to a completely different level. Um, he's been unbelievable for us do i think we'll keep him for a long time when he's got a four-year contract when he signs so he's got two and a half years left undoubtedly clubs are going to be looking at him especially because he's done so well in europe exactly Um, you've got to believe that people are going to be looking at him will we keep him in january i think we will i think it would take a like an astronomical sum of money for someone to tempt us to to part ways and i just don't see that really happening in january and then you've got to factor in even if we do sell him for big cash, are we going to get in anyone like a like-for-like like replacement in terms of quality? I think that's Almost certainly not. Yeah. In January. And then like Duke had a great game last night playing the lone striker role, but it's not a role that's typically accustomed to him. And we just haven't mm-hmm. seen enough of Sokler or Habib Gay to gauge whether they can come in and, and do that job. So for me, it would take record, record yeah. fees. It would take blowing the record fee out of the water to even make me think about selling him in January but I can't see him staying here beyond the summer because he's yeah. destined for the big time I would agree and he's got a great record in Europe this season he's an internationalist he's still young-ish is he 24 or something I think 23, 24 yeah yeah so there's a lot going for him and although historically Scottish clubs haven't got great transfer fees we've been seen as a market where you can cherry pick players like that Aberdeen are an example of clubs that have got better fees in recent years. So McKenna, did you get four million, maybe more for him? It's always questioned, but yeah, I think somewhere between three and four million is. Yeah. So if if we're talking four million for McKenna, if uh, if a similar level English club, even an English Championship club, comes in, then you're going to be wanting more than that, at least you would imagine. Well, all in Calvin Ramsey was six. Oh that's yeah, of course. That's, for, obvious, that's obviously you know depending on him doing a number of things for Liverpool. That with the best one, he's not been done yet. Right but now. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, Lewis Ferguson I think went for like two, two and a half. Ross McIlroy two million in the summer as well. So yeah, we're definitely we're becoming a harder club to deal with. But mm-hmm. yeah, there'll be, and I'm I'm convinced that Miofsky will go for, will smash those records. Um, the one thing that does concern me is that you know Southampton have got effectively our recruitment team in place now Dad Mowbray was our head of recruitment he's now there uh, Lee Scott who was an analyst who was an integral part in getting Miofsky to the club is also now at Southampton so I'm sure they're right. looking at this way and thinking to themselves that's guy we could get for Southampton money on a reasonably affordable rate 
Yeah. And, uh, and turn him into, I mean, I'm convinced this guy could play in the Premier League. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. Well, that, that's a very interesting point. If there's key former Aberdeen people at Southampton, I'm not, I don't watch much of Southampton, but I imagine Shea Adams, is he still their main striker or? Maybe. I don't yeah, watch like, either. <laughs> yeah, if um, if Shea Adams, no disrespect, and obviously I'm a Scotland fan, I want Shea Adams to do well, but if he's the, the striker to take them to the Premier League, then they would be upgrading if they got Miofsky. So, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens with that. But it's a good situation to be in. You would rather have a high-value asset doing well for you rather than all our strikers are terrible, nobody will buy them. So it's a good position to be in, but I suppose it is worrying to see who who they would replace that with so yeah i think i would just say enjoy him while he's here yeah and that's a good good way to be and it's the, it's the way scottish teams need to operate they need to ha- develop and get in good players on low money and then develop them at once every couple of years selling them for big money even celtic and rangers don't have the cash to just be buying players and not selling them on so we we are a selling nation so it's just the way of it so yeah enjoy him while he's here and hopefully for you guys he's fit for the cup final that you've got next month there's still the rest of the season to play for although you're sort of bottom half at the moment you've got games in hand third place will definitely be achievable if you look is it St Mirren and Dundee and Kilmarnock are sort of the the top six teams at the moment no disrespect to them but Aberdeen should be looking to catch them sooner rather than later so yeah he he will hopefully for you guys have a, a good rest of the season so away from sort of board level and transfer recruitment Thoughts on Barry Robson as manager and football fans are very fickle. So I bet if we recorded this podcast two weeks ago, even it would have been a different answer. Am I right in saying that? Well, if I'm not mistaken, you reached out to us just after the Pouk home tie when we were all emotional chaos after that result. And there was a lot of disgruntlement, I'll call it that, with Robson after that game, especially after the triple sub that you alluded to earlier. Um, when it comes to Barry Robson, I when he took over as caretaker and he went about fixing the defence and he brought Angus McDonald in and he brought Matty Pollock in and I think we brought Jay Horter in who played in goal for a little bit there as well. <clears throat> and we got Graham Shinney back in to the team. And he seemed to just strike this really good blend of the players where we had the three at the back system. We had Johnny Hayes or Hayden Colson and Ross McCurry at the wing backs. And just this perfect combination of Shinny, Ramadani, and Leighton Clarkson in the middle, which just then let Miofsky and Duke do what they do best. And we just, in a lot of cases, we just gr- we were grinding at results. I think back to a 1-0 win in Dingwall in midweek, where it was uh, very back to the wall, and we had one chance I think, on goal, and Duke took it. That happened in other games. And for that, for that half season, given where we were under Jim Goodwin, you have to remember, we lost 11-0 on aggregate to the Edinburgh teams. And in between that, we had the worst result in the, the Scottish yeah. history. So that's the state we're in. We are all like shiting ourselves about the prospect that we could get dragged into a relegation battle. Here. Yeah. Robson comes in as caretaker. Um, we go on this incredible run of results, culminating I think, in the 2-0 win over Rangers up Tawdry. I think we'd beat Hearts 3-0 at home as well in, in that in that run of fixtures. What he did there, it was impossible for the board to not give him the job. He exactly. completely earned it. I think the fact that Steve Agnew must have made himself available to, to stay as his number two was also pivotal. 
I think Cormax alluded to in the past that he wanted both Glass and Goodwin to have experienced number twos, and they both um, rejected that idea, and that played part, a part in them ultimately leaving the club. Robson Dewey did sensational stuff. So for me, and I've always felt that Robson, there's something about him, and maybe I'm just going back to him as a player. Mm. I've got this really hunch that Robson's going to be a really, really good manager. I've felt that for a long time now. And uh, even when we were still looking around, you know, there was a lot of chat about managers in, in Scandinavia, for example, or managers down south or even on, on the continent. And I just feel like Robson, there's something about him that for me just feels like let's give him a chance. Yeah. And I was delighted to see him work out, played they got the got the gig full time. And I was just very intrigued to see how he would then approach the summer. You know, I think that what we did last season was a case of right, we just need to get the best eleven that we have on the pitch as often as possible and grind out results. And that's what we did. I did then wonder, are we gonna start to see maybe more a more expansive style of football? Um, a different way of playing. Um, when we got Leighton Clarkson back in in the summer, I could not believe that we'd pulled that off. Yeah. And then you're just thinking, like, we've got now, in my view, one of the best technical players in the league in the heart of our midfield. We should be building our team around him and making him the star of the show. So then when we kind of start the season, and it's been a funny old season for Aberdeen because against the bigger teams and in the bigger games, I think by and large we've played pretty well. I'm thinking even Celtic at home in the first game of the league, we conceded some sloppy goals, but we were competitive with them. Rangers at Ibrox, we go there and beat them, as we just talked about. Like we've been competitive in every game we've played in Europe so far. But the troubling thing has been your home games with St. Johnston, your away mm. games with Livingston, your games with Kilmarnock, where we just haven't... We feel like we're a really good team set up for defending and for being on the counter-attack but when we're the team that in theory should be on the front foot dominating possession we haven't found that balance um i think we've i don't think we've necessarily replaced ilba ramadani in the center of midfield i think him and shinny did so much of the dirty work that allowed late mm. clarkson to thrive jamie grass come in and he's been very very good but he's a different type of player to ilba ramadani and generally, McGrath's best performances have come in this kind of 5 4 1 setup. So he's not playing in the center um, of midfield. So then, when you think about that, some of the performances this season have been dreadful. There's no yeah. way of getting away from it. And we've been playing a lot of agricultural long ball football to two of the most talented strikers that we've had in, in years. And that's been extremely frustrating to see not being competitive in the middle of the park, not picking up second balls, um, players being isolated frequently. Um, so that's the frustrating part about the way that we've kind of gone and he's been welded to this 3-5-2 system that served us so well last season. But the thing is, this year, I don't think we have the blend of players for that to work as well. There's frustration, as we know we have. We've spent money again on players. Mm -hmm. um, the trickers we've got, Flint Vicente still at the club who 18 months ago uh, got to assume he's picking up a decent wedge and he doesn't ever play and when you're desperate you can't help but think why are we not trying something else rather than okay long ball to Duke and Mioff's guess work so let's try long ball to Habib Gay <laughs> so clear and see what changes yeah. there Yeah. so yeah I think that's probably 
played a big part in people's frustration. I think every now and again, you'll hear people talk about how, because you're right, we've invested a lot of money in the squad in the last two and a bit of years. We've had, what, three turnovers in the squad in the, with the three new managers. Yeah. And a part of that, all getting players that before, you have to spend money to happen. And some people mention that we've spent big time on the playing staff, but maybe we've scripted on the managers a little bit. And I think that's maybe a, a reasonably fair assessment, especially with maybe Glass and, and Goodwin, especially. But um, so that's part, and you get that little bit of should Aberdeen be a club where the manager is learning the job on the spot? Should we have someone who's all gained a bit of experience to not yeah. do things like be 2 0 up? Oh, at home against a bigger team and then make three subs and completely change the system in, in one fell swoop rather than breaking it all up. And that's so, the difficult thing where you where you see there's definitely potential in Barry Robson. He's a very young manager. It's his first major job. To have him learning on the job is a, a difficult thing to do. And you're quite right. Aberdeen see themselves as the third biggest team in the country. Is that the right environment for a manager to be doing that? Should he have been somewhere else and then Aberdeen take him from there? But yeah, like like we've spoke about it, the budgets in Scotland are quite constrained, so they can't go and spend loads on the managers. You're right, they probably have taken the cheap option in some, some of their appointments. But I think from a neutral looking in, I can understand the disgruntlement at, at times over the season. And you mentioned there was a lot of sign-ins or loan sign-ins as well that haven't even featured. And then that's on the manager. So there must be a reason that he, he's not sharing why aren't these players getting a game. But I think overall, like you say, the, the competitiveness against the bigger teams, going to Ibrox and winning with ease, going to Frankfurt and being unfortunate to lose is, is well above where... Aberdeen would expect to be doing every single week. They wouldn't expect to go and outplay these better teams. So my opinion is I think I can understand the disgruntlement, but I feel like he's doing an all right job and I just think he deserves time to, to try and to build on the, the platform he started with. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I do. I do, absolutely. I I, I do like the game. We're, we're fans at the end of the day and we're quite emotionally invested because we have to of course. podcast about it every week. and. <laughs> Defeats to Kilmarnock, which are always tough to uh, tough to stomach. And what kind of there is that after Jesus, after the Kilmarnock game, have the typical chat of he's lost the dressing room. There's fights in the dressing room. The players have jacked. He's on you know borrowed time. The thing that I would say about that when you think of Hibs in the semi final, when we go down to ten men, you think of Pauk when we go. Yeah. It's a difficult place to go anyway. They beat Frankfurt over there. They beat Olympiacos 4-2 at the weekend in Olympiacos' stadium. They were 4-0 up before they made changes, so they're a really good team. And then when we get the first goal and then we go 2-1 down, keep fighting. And even the celebration of the second goal shows to me that it's a very united dressing room. So for me, yeah, he's he's in the job for, um, certainly for the time being anyway. I mean, he's not. there's no danger he's losing for the cup final. No. And what I see is that after we beat um, Motherwell in the midweek game, and we went to sixth for like a little bit there, I think Dundee are now back in the top six now. But the, the league, again, for the third season in a row, is just so tight. It's so congested. Very, that yeah. If you just go on a little run of form, three wins, you rock up the table. I think we'd be then sitting around about third place. Yeah, So the absolutely. way I see it, 
the way I see it is that once we get through this Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday routine, which has obviously hampered us, you can tell it by the results that's happened every game after we played in Europe. If we're still in about that position come December, January, and we can just focus on the league form and then going and winning the Scottish Cup, I think we'll be in a healthier place. I think we'll start to see a better team. And yeah, I'm strange at this moment in time. And again, this could change next week. Yeah, <laughs> but in this moment in time, I'm pretty confident that we've got um, we've got the right man in place. Perfect. Yeah, I I agree with that. And yeah, good good luck to you guys for the rest of the season. We'll see how it goes. And if you win the Scottish Cup, as you said, you hope to. Or if Rangers or Celtic win it and you finish third, then hopefully you'll have another European campaign to look forward to next season. So yeah, I'll just wrap it up there, Gab. So thanks very much for coming on. That was a great insight to the Aberdeen fans' point of view at the moment. And um, before we go, do you just want to give my listeners a little background to the podcast you do? How regular are the episodes out? That sort of thing. Oh, the pop. So um, we came up with this idea in February of Jeepers. I can't even think what the year it is. Well, now twenty twenty, I think. That okay. that makes sense. Just during- before the COVID lockdown. Oh, okay that's okay thank you it'll be it'll be february 2021 then 21 um it was it was at that point when we were still in lockdown um we the three of us that do the show we were kind of at that point tired of zoom quizzes <laughs> um and needed another reason to kind of get together on a weekly basis and we just had the idea of a podcast and we thought we could do it we thought we could do it well so let's see how it goes. And it didn't really matter to us if anyone listened to it mm-hmm. or not. Thankfully, it's gained a little bit of traction. We've been able to do some do some good through the show as well. Um, raised a few quid for some charities here and there. So and it's been fascinating because like everyone that's been so good with us as far as like getting interviews, so many players, ex-players were willing to come on when we had no track record whatsoever. And it's incredible to think that, you know, 10 weeks into doing the show, I was sitting in an Airbnb in Edinburgh across from uh, across from Tynecastle shooting the shit with Ian Jess. <laughs> like that's, that, that's the kind of stuff you just don't expect to happen. And, yeah, um, that's it's, brilliant. It's been, it's been great. It was, it was genuinely just a reason to get together um, and talk about something that we all mutually enjoyed, which was Aberdeen. And it made sense as well, given that we were venturing into this brave new world of Derek McInnes with Stephen Glass in charge. Um... Generally speaking, I'd say that they're pretty much weekly episodes. Uh, we will do the odd special here and there if we get a new signing, or if, for example, mm. we did a game. We did one last night just after the Pout game because it's such an important uh, kind of rarity for Aberdeen to be in group stage football. And sometimes it's nice to just get that immediate raw emotion reaction, on, yeah, onto the uh, into the old microphone here. Um, it's just been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It really has been a lot of fun. And like I say, we've been able to do some good with it. Um, yeah, we appreciate everyone that listens to it. And we thank we thank people like yourself for also inviting us on your shows. Yeah, no, thanks very much for coming on. I'll make sure to put the link to your show in the podcast. I've got a lot of Aberdeen fans that have started following the page this season. So if they don't already know about you, hopefully they will after this. So thanks again for coming on, Gav. That was really enjoyable. Thanks, mate. No, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Scotland's Coefficient Podcast, the podcast about Scotland's football teams in European competition. 
Join us next time for more detailed analysis and all things Scotland's coefficients. Coefficients.